0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode number two of Terry's Talking, your new favorite podcast. Hey, this is David Campbell. I'm sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined as always by Terry Pluto, award-winning sports writer and author of the upcoming book,
1: Vintage Browns. Right, I got the title right? You've got it. It's not hard, so that'll be good. Coming out hopefully in a couple months. So Excellent.
0: We'll look forward to that. Hopefully we'll hopefully get to it.
1: because, a- as you know, with things that used to be on schedule don't exactly run on the schedules that they used to.
0: That's right. Everything's slow, supply chain issues and all that. So so I didn't get the chance to ask you last week, what did you think of the theme song that I picked? Did you hear it? No. Okay. So check it out. <laughs> it's called Icarus. I wanted to give these guys a shout out. It's called Icarus and it's got all like right. a little catchy beat to it, but it's, um, I thought it was interesting. It's by this group called the El Flaco Collective. And I'm I'm like Icarus. I'm, you remember that from like Greek mythology the whole thing yes. about Icarus? Yeah. Like, so I think everybody remembers the story about how Icarus had wings made out of feathers and wax and he couldn't fly too close to the sun. So I think the message I did this subliminally, I put it together. It's like this, let's make this podcast as good as it can be, but like not too close to the sun. We don't want to crash and burn. So we're going to get as close no, to the no. sun as we can. Well, therefore we're not going to do
1: point spreads. There you go. That's,
0: That's right. a good so... way to crash
1: and burn.
0: <laughs> All right. Hey, Terry, Um, let's get talking about the Browns. Everybody's really jacked up okay. for this season and the opener on Um, Sunday at Kansas City. One of the things we talked about uh, going into the season on um, the Orange and Brown Talk podcast that we did with fans was like on a scale of one being not important and five being really, really important. Where do you rank this game on a scale of one to five in terms of how important it is to the Browns' fortunes this season?
1: As I give you my number, keep in mind this is not a put down on the Browns. It's not even to say the Browns will lose, but just my view of the number one of 17. And I, I was the only one, ever was at threes and fours. I gave it a one. And the reason being it's one of 17 the reason being, remember how they got whacked in Baltimore last year. Reason being this, um, and this is why they actually could win too. You just don't know uh, a number of years ago. I know it was, it was probably like 20 years ago. I was at the beacon journal then. Uh, I was in Las Vegas covering something else, and uh, I had a friend who knew a guy named Joe Lupo from Stowe, and he ran the sports book at the old Stardust casino in Las Vegas. I'm not a big gambler or whatever, but I was always kind of fascinated. These, these are the guys, especially in the old days, they set the lines. So I went over and talked to him, and uh, Joe told me a couple things, one of them being how. Basically, they could move the line more because Browns fans were so fanatic that they actually could have gotten more points or whatever. But they would just bet their team anyway, so uh, they bet a lot of emotions. And but we got on different. I said, "Well, there's something else." He said, "Well, you know, the hardcore guys." He goes, "It's even for hard for us. The first week of the NFL season is a nightmare." He said, "We have no idea what's going to happen." And, and number, this was like twenty years ago. They don't play their guys that much in the free season. Well, not right. they don't even play in the free season or whatever. He said, "Really, the smart money maybe they'll bet a game, but the guys that are smart they're studying all the games, and they come back in weeks two and three. So that's why when I say this, I mean clearly, Baltimore was a thirty-seven to eight or whatever it was last year that they they lost thirty, basically thirty-point margin." Then the next time, remember, it was this great game, you know, the Baltimore one, but that was more indicative of where the Browns and Ravens were with each other as opposed to that first week. And that's why I'm saying, I mean, maybe the Browns going to whack Kansas city. I mean, who knows,
0: but well, it, even it if just, they do it, like, yeah, it, it's one of 17. You're right.
1: One of 17. It's nice though. In fact, somebody from the Browns told me, he goes, you know, one of two things is going to happen if we get beat, unless it's a real, real tight game to say, we get beat by 10 guy says well now we're imposters he goes and if we win we're going to the super bowl yep and he's a and the guy says corley i want to see how we play play well all these other things but what does it really mean i'm sticking with a one
0: yeah and i'm right there with you i mean I, I don't know if you know this but um when before i came to cleveland i was working in chicago and i used to cover the dave Wanstead bears of the early 90s yeah. And every season they would start out four and one, five and two, and yeah. people would be excited and the Bears fans would be going crazy. But, but it's like you, you've been around this long enough. You start to figure out championships are won and division titles and playoff berths are won in November and December. Like th- those are the games that are really pivotal toward the end. And like a fa- how many teams do we see every year? Fa- fast start and then they just fade. It's like November, December is really crunch time. And I think you're right. We'll know more about everybody by then. So it'll be really interesting. about
1: certain players like, you know, we, if we, now granted, Baker was in a new offense yet again. Nonetheless, uh, the Baker Mayfield we saw the second half of the year, I think, by the way, is closer to the Baker Mayfield that's real than in the first half. But he may, he may just have some struggles early on too. I mean, David, when you go out and you watch training camp, and a lot of fans have done this. If you're a quarterback, you're wearing red, you might as well wear this neon sign, don't touch me, don't get near me. It creates a false sense of security for that quarterback. And once you get out there, that's why I was glad they at least said Baker had a couple of series the other day uh, when they played their final preseason game. In fact, the first series, remember, he had two passes batted down. I just Mm -hmm. think his timing and stuff wasn't good. You can't replicate it. So we'll see. And I think as the season goes on, you know, the, the quarterback and everybody else grows together.
0: Cool. So you're going to be there Sunday. And um, so I have been to Arrowhead Stadium in the summertime. Um, and I stayed across there when I was on a vacation out that way. But I have not been there for a game. What's it like? It's, it seems like it's a pretty cool place to see a game.
1: It's like when Cleveland's rocking. It's the same thing. The people are the same way. It's Midwestern. You know, Buffalo's like that. I'm not going to say nice things about Pittsburgh because they're not allowed. But Buffalo's like that. You know, even Detroit, although they're, they're terrible. But the, the people are nice. It's this feel... Um, but I, they just like everything's you know, orange and Brown when the Browns play, everything is red there. And it reminded me a little bit too many years ago, I went to Nebraska when that was back when they were just rolling mid, middle, middle nineties, Akronu did a money game there. And so I actually was able to stay in the, on the sidelines in the locker room. Leon's the coach, you know, how this poor Akron U's playing in Nebraska, but just the way the fans are, the way it looked, same thing out there. I love going to Kansas City for games, and I'd love to see the Browns make them very quiet as they go out of the stadium, but it's a great atmosphere. It's a tough atmosphere. Now, the curious thing, David, when was the last time these teams played with crowd noise, real crowd noise, not 10,000 crowd noise, real crowd noise? Yeah, it's been a
0: while. I think the last game might have been here between them before last year, yeah. if I remember.
1: 2019, you got to yeah. you know, And so that'll be interesting. I want to see how the offensive linemen handle that, all that kind of stuff, because preseason, there's some noise, but it's nothing. So everybody
0: knows all about the weapons that Kansas City has. If we can go on the field for a minute here. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on like, you know, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, Mahomes, they've got so much firepower there. And I think one of the real things people are curious to see about the Browns is like Joe Woods has all these new players that he can deploy now. And there's a lot of curiosity about it. Are they going to go three safeties two, with two linebackers? Are they going to go more traditional? Are they going to mix it up? How often will they go with more defensive backs? How do you think Joe Woods is going to kind of approach
1: this going? And what do you expect to see? A big thing, David, watching the Browns against Kansas City and maybe once in a while sort of Baltimore or whatever, is defensively they would look slow. Now, are they faster? They're supposed to be faster starting on that defensive line. Clowney is supposed to bring some, not only the pass rushing, but just that speed like Miles has. Are they faster? Are they faster at linebacker with JLK and with Walker? Uh, Andrew Berry, I remember when they, when they signed Walker, said he went side to side as well as anybody. Uh, they want their linebackers really to be able to run. Are they faster with, um, with Delpit? I'm assuming he's going to play with John Johnson. As at the safeties, you know, Harrison, you have to play those three safeties against Kansas City because that's what they want to do. They're they want to run and gun with Mahomes. It's almost like one of those NBA three point shooting teams. How will the Browns keep up with that? That's what I'm looking at, as opposed to basically, are you faster because you're supposed to be? And then can you schematically make that work? But I, I just wanted because that was the thing we just noticed the Browns weren't quick enough, and then the the uh. uh the case for Odell was offensively the Browns needed one more speed guy. Now I am, by the way, I know everybody says that everything's fine with Odell, but we honestly don't know. I mean, until it's we true. see him play, we right. don't know. My guess is early in the year, he's going to be pretty good. He's rested. They've trained him all that, you know, will he hold up over a whole season, but we just don't know.
0: So the uh, it's interesting you talk about the speed sideline to sideline because I remember right after that game last year, our colleague Ellis Williams wrote a really interesting film breakdown of how the Chiefs tried to exploit that um, Mm -hmm. sideline to sideline speed, and we saw it on the 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 crucial quarterback keeper at the end when the Browns couldn't get to the sideline fast enough. So I think that's going to be one of the real interesting storylines this week is how the the Browns can cover horizontally, not just down the field, but horizontally sideline to sideline, and we'll see how that goes. So then when
1: you throw the asterisk on there, David, too, that okay, you're going to have, I don't know, eight new starters or whatever it is, a lot of new starters and a lot of new players. Um, I, my guess they better look better later in the year than they do now. So they could end up being exploited. But also I believe Kansas City has either – I think it's four new offensive linemen. They are really – and so that – okay, so you got a kind of a whole new defensive line other than uh, – well, yeah, Miles Garrett and who, who else started last year? Yeah. Billings opted out. Right. You're right. But that's it. So how do they match up with the new offensive line for uh, Kansas City? Of course, Mahomes is a great eraser for that with his mobility to run all over. But no quarterback likes to be pressured.
0: So everybody, you mentioned OBJ earlier, Everybody's really interested to see how he looks. Is there one player in particular that you're really excited to
1: see on Sunday in the opener? This game is set up for JOK. Okay. I mean, he's supposed to be fast, linebacker, side to side. I want to see if they roll him in there and then how he does. Secondly, Clowney. And I saw him a couple times out there when they actually were, I think, weren't ta- whatever they were doing, where it's close to tackling, but not tackling, you know. They, and uh, his speed just it was eye-popping, it jumped. So those were two. On the defense, I feel just really I'm very sanguine or very confident in the offense. I'm not real worried about it. By the way, I do hope they run the ball a lot. Let's keep Kansas City sitting over there and let's watch Chubb and, and Hunt. And I mean, even just as a fan, just watch those guys run and do some play action, tight ends, all of that stuff.
0: The, uh, I'm really interested to see Donovan Peoples Jones. I know people yeah. want to see OBJ and coming back from the injury, but he—we've heard so much about uh, DPJ this training camp, making you know, high pointing the ball, bringing it down in tight spaces, yeah. and if you know, if if you've got Jarvis Landry and OBJ out there, there might be some room for for Peoples Jones to make some plays. So I'll, I'll be curious how that that works out. So you know who the best receiver is on the team. Oh yeah,
1: and you've said Landry. this for a long time, Jarvis Landry, right? Because because to me you know part of his durability part of it is flexibility you know this guy can short passes long he, he could read baker all that by the way he threw four passes last year and completed them all <laughs> that's right so there you go but i, I just have level Landry. i mean the guy lost his uh consecutive game streak at 100 or whatever it was uh, when he didn't even have COVID. Remember the close contact thing. right? And, and he played on a bad hip last year because he came quickly back from hip surgery. Well, he looked dynamic against the Giants the day I was out there. And uh, I'm just, I guess I just have always liked him from the moment they got him. You know, it's just, it's just he's a Browns type player. Yeah, I've started to play, play, not play like a Brown. That was my cut, but. Uh, <laughs> play like a Landry? Play like a Landry. Yes, he remember he did that when he yelled at those guys on the, uh, in the uh, 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 hard knocks. They had the meeting of the receivers. He's, he just ripped them. Basically, it was play like a Landry. Yeah, and he was a new guy then,
0: right? It, it wasn't even yeah. like he'd been here for five years. He was really no. trying to set the tone right from the get, and that's what he's been. They, yeah. He's been exactly what they thought they were getting.
1: He yep. really has. Yep. Yeah, and I hope that they don't fall into the um, salary cap thing with him. You know, it's kind of like this is a little like Nick Chubb. You may pay more than the analytics say because guess what? He's tough, he's smart, and he's accountable, and he's good, and he's durable. Yep. And he, that, he, he, he impacts,
0: yeah. And he impacts other people around him. Yes. Which is, exactly. which, is what, which is what you're saying. Yeah. So, all right, let's take a break and we'll come back and uh, we'll talk some Indians. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. We'll be right back. All right, we're back on Terry's talking. We're going to get into a little bit of Indians here, Terry. Um, we've talked last. We talked last week about how you know the Indians aren't battling for a playoff spot or anything, but there's a lot of really good and interesting things happen, especially with the pitching staff for next year. And I want to kind of ask what you what your impressions were of where they're at.
1: Well, the I'm, I'm anxious first of all to uh, to see uh, you know Savali is going to be pitching the rest of this month, and and then we're going to go to the new guys, but. The Bieber thing is interesting to me. They want him to pitch a game or two uh, primarily so that he goes into the off season feeling confident about his arm and shoulder because no matter what they say, when this guy went out in June and they said, you know, four weeks, six weeks, tired shoulder, whatnot. Well, here we are in September. He hasn't pitched yet. And so they want to see how that goes. I remember a number of years ago, Uh, They were at the old stadium. That's how far back Charlie Nagy missed a whole bunch of months towards the end of the season. And uh, they had him pitch the last game of the year just so he could get his um, confidence back. And that worked fine for Charlie. And he went into the next year and he had a good year. So those two. But but David, all right, I'm going to ask you to rank them. You got McKenzie. You've got Eli Morgan. You got Quantrill. I don't think there's really much of anybody else enters into that discussion with the, the three young stars. How would you rank them? Mackenzie, Quantrill, Morgan. I would probably do Quantrill, Mackenzie, and Morgan just from
0: consistency. But that's me. What do you think?
1: Yeah, because that was kind of a tug of war between Mackenzie and uh, Quantrill. Uh, Mackenzie could only be more brilliant. Quantrill might be more when I mentioned durable football, again, more durable there because McKenzie's, I mean, basically there was really nothing wrong with his arm when they put him on the disabled list. They just wanted him to skip the start and have somebody else start um, because they just don't want this guy to get hurt again. He's missed quite a bit in the past. I still cannot figure out. I'm glad that he figured it out how he went from being so wild early in the year to such a control picture now. And, Even the Indians aren't quite sure what was going on early in the season because in the minors, and the little bit he pitched with the Indians in 20, he had pretty good control. That was never a big issue with him. It was always, can he develop a breaking ball to go with the fastball, and will he not get hurt? And then, um, of course, he had games like he would strike out five in a row walk four in a row. I mean, I remember there was a game like that. Another time, I think he walked six in a row or five in a row. It was just so weird. And then he went down to Columbus a couple times and seemed to seem to figure it out. But it's exciting for me to think about those three. Morgan is my Josh Tom one. That's how I look at him, the five, fifth and a half starter. And then you 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 see some of these other guys. If you look at uh, at, at Double A Plunkinton, the kid that they got for uh, uh, Cesar uh, Hernandez, is pitched extremely well at Akron. There's a guy they love named Cody Morris who went all the way from class eight, he's now at triple A. He could end up getting a spot start, by the way. They have those double headers and stuff at the end of the year. He's the guy they really like. Uh, so they've got some arms coming, um, you know, this wave of pitching. And this is what they felt would prevent them from falling off the map with the, with the big payroll cuts and that, and allow them to retool and be respectable and then get back into contention fairly quickly.
0: You know, it's interesting, um, and you wrote about this in your column Sunday, and one of the other organizations that I thought of that is really good at this is the Bill Belichick Patriots. They Mm -hmm. always seem to find good guys when they're young, develop them, watch them flourish, and then they either trade them or let their contracts expire right before the downslope comes. And it's very Belichickian to me in terms of the way the Indians always seem to time this right. And you wrote about that on Sunday. It was really interesting to see how they've managed to do that. And also some of these guys in the minors that
1: they've managed to get back in return. I mean, if you go back through the, it came from a guy guy named Jim Menden, M-E-N-D-A-T, wrote me an email and, and said he was looking at the rotation from a few years ago. And you had Kluber, you know, Kluber's not been able to stay healthy and you've had Clevenger. He's recovering from a second time of John operation. You have Bauer and all his just general problems. You know, you go right down the line, you know, a lot of the relievers, Andrew Miller, he had had arm history problems in the past there, you know, Cody Allen, you know, just kind of things just fell off. You, you, you just see that those guys um, they kind of rode, rode him for as long as they want and let him go. And yeah, it's really dangerous to give a starting pitcher a long term, you know, five year, eight year contract just because so many of these guys get hurt. Yeah. And um... Carlos Carrasco was another one, excuse me, in the rotation. I kept thinking there's another big name. And, you know, Carlos, they did give him uh, an extension. And then Carlos came down with leukemia. Then there were some arm problems. He tore his hamstring with the Mets. Um, it's just been – the fact that Carlos is even pitching to me is amazing. It really is after what he went – I mean, the, the drugs you have to take when you're battling his form of leukemia are not anybody prescribed them. This is not the steroids for starting pitchers to go well. This is the opposite, you know. You know, in the 90s, it was the opposite. They couldn't find pitching. Right. Found a lot hitters. of hitters, though. Yep. Yeah, now they can't find hitters. Now the I although I'll tell you this, you look at the top of the lineup, since they granted they're, they're players from elsewhere for the most part, but when you have straw leading off and you have Jose Batting second, I mean um, uh uh batting second um is uh I'm having a complete oh Ahmed, excuse me, here we go. So you have straw from the Astros, Ahmed from the Mets, you have Jose from the Indians, and you have Reyes from the from the Padres. And actually Zimmer's finally given him a little bit, you know, he's a, he's a farm system product, but that's, that's a lineup. That's pretty decent. And Bobby Bradley, they, they'll live with him striking out about 35% of the time. If he is 35 homers and he might do that. So at least there's something coming on there.
0: So you mentioned Jose Ramirez before we got it. I want to get to some calves real quick before we, uh, before we end today, but can we take a minute to appreciate Jose Ramirez real fast? I was really struck by this Paul, Paul Hoynes, Hoynes. He had this in his story over the weekend. So uh, Jose stole his 20th base Saturday. He's just the third player this season to have 30 or more homers. He's got 32 (laughs) and 20 or more stolen bases. The other two are Shohei Otani and Fernando Tatis. Those are the other two guys. And then Hoinsey also had this, since Ramirez made his big league de- debut in 2013, there's only five other players who've had two seasons of 30-plus homers and 20-plus stolen bases. Mookie Betts, Francisco Lindor, Mike Trout, Trevor Story, and Kristen Yelich are the others. I mean, that's some pretty amazing company that Jose Ramirez is in. And I think because he's not he's not a real like outgoing personality, he doesn't seek out a lot of media. Like. That is an impressive group he's in, and and he's
1: got to be one of the more underappreciated guys in in baseball, right? Put up a picture of him, if you were to do that, in your mind, and say, does this guy look like, A, he could steal 20 bases, or B, he would hit 30 homers? The answer, at least in my mind, is neither. Now, when I first saw uh, Jose, I was actually... This goes way back. I was sitting and watching a spring training game with Shapiro because we were working on kind of some preseason stuff. And and um, this was a game where Jose and Lindor were both deep in the class, A in the minors. And they brought them up late in the innings from minor league camp. They weren't even invited to regular camp. They were brought up late in the game. About the fifth inning, and they put Lindor at short. And I knew who he was, first round pick. And this kids at second. And all of a sudden, Jose turns a nice double play. He waps a single to right field. He's, By the way, he's skinny at this point. He's not bolt up Jose. And I said to Shapiro, who's that kid? He goes, we signed him, not cost much money out of the Dominican. Actually, the real answer was they signed him for 50 grand, the Dominican, which is a lot of money for Jose, but not a lot of money. And um, he was just a, a guy. And everywhere he went, he hit in the minors. You know, second base, shortstop. You know, he played third. He remember he played the outfield for a while. This guy was willing to do anything. And that's why I'm hoping I don't know where this goes. And it's it's difficult because of the labor agreement changing, David. But see about an extension with him. Not eight to twelve years, but he's got two years left. And you know, try to work around that and, and get him some money, maybe because they'd be nice to sign somebody. But his remark, but you're right. The 30-20 thing, you can put those names out. You gotta be kidding.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, and he's only twenty-eight years old. It's it yes. seems like he's been playing for the Indians for fifteen years.
1: Like he really came up has. young, and that's what. And by the way, he didn't hit. I mean, when he first came up, he looked a little bit like uh, uh, Andres Jimenez. I mean, he was just a skinny kid, middle infielder, and um, and he didn't hit uh, that well either. Especially when he started, he came up to the middle of one season, played some short, that okay. Then the following year, they opened with him, had to send him back to the minors. He didn't hit. That's why sometimes the Indians look at, say, and Andres Jimenez or Owen Miller, where they, they keep saying, we've got to be patient here. We've got to be patient because we can miss it on this guy. You know, they ran out of patience with Rochella. He had like 400 at-bats over a couple of years. Then Toronto had him briefly. They let him go, and he goes to the Yankees and starts hitting. Every,
0: every guy's different. Every guy's, some get it earlier and some get it later. So, um, Hey, so, um, we'll talk a little Cavaliers maybe, and then we'll wrap it up. We've got, uh, we're going to have a new feature at the end, Terry, Terry's trivia. So we'll see okay. if you can get the answer to the question. So, so, um, it's kind of downtime for the NBA right now. A lot of people on vacation in the league, like GMs, you know, players are getting some downtime. Even some of the reporters are taking some time off. What do you think of what they've done this summer? Uh, real quick, and like, what can they do? I mean, th- their hands are tied in some ways here in terms of what they can do, but what do you, what do you see?
1: Well, going into the offseason, I thought they needed a wing player, a small forward type. Um, and right now, they need a wing player, a small forward type, because they drafted Mobley, who was probably the best pick at that point. Um, and they also traded for, uh, for marketing. Laurie Markinen, you know, they traded Lori Nance for him, who's a seven-footer. I mean, I got an email from a guy who goes, I'm interested to see the three seven footers play at a time, Markinen, um, and uh, Jared Allen and Mobley. But in the modern NBA, that's not gonna work where everybody's running up and down. You really need that six eight athletic guy. You know, it was good that they they they, they turned around and, and they added Rubio as a backup point guard. That'll help, but they're still really missing that piece. And and I you know, I guess you could probably play a Coral there, but it's a strange looking team, even though there's some, it's like nice parts. But what is it, you, if you're going to start Sexton and uh, Garland in the backcourt, you know, a couple of guys, 6'1 or six foot, then I guess you go with a Coral who's a little small for a small forward. I had a top NBA executive tell me, you know, the Cavs are good on the way to being good when they put a Coral in the backcourt with Garland. He says, that's and if you have sex and off the bench, you trade up, he goes, that's a nice combination. And then they have a viable small forward, but in this case, they don't. So they've added some stuff and some parts to be a little better. I think, you know, Nance is going to be missed. Nance is a, you know, Nance is really good off the floor. He, and on the floor, he does all the little things that um, you want them to unselfish loose balls, rebounding defense analytically that it loves him for that. So, um, interesting parse they added i'm not sure all what's going to add up to
0: yeah well the season will be before we know it and they do have some good foundational pieces there's no doubt about that so we'll see how things go there all right terry you ready for terry's trivia let's yeah, try it so you last week it was
1: coming but you didn't remind me what <laughs> yeah. it was all right so last week by I the was... way i'm down here uh, by the time this runs will be home We're, we came down to marietta and we like to hike in wayne forest and uh there's this big sign on the bridge for West Virginia, Ohio, you find it here. Yeah. And it's written in Crayon, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, the crayon it yeah,
0: yeah and did you find no, it? I know it
1: it is coming where i'm going well, if you warned me but i have no idea what it is it so.
0: being terry's trivia okay
1: you'll find it in this podcast
0: you ready all right so last week we were talking about a theme song and you said as long as it's not the uh, dead skunk in the middle of the road which i had never heard so i wanted to find out about the song dead skunk in the middle of the road okay. who sang that song and what year and then there's a second bonus part of the question
1: All right. Loudon Wainwright III sang it. Wow. Impressive. I'm guessing it was the early 70s. And my wife, Roberta, was with me at this concert, I'm pretty sure. And it was a thing at Case Western Reserve. And they had, he was the headliner, I may add. And they had two local folk singers. One is Alex Bevan, who's still around. And the other is a guy named John Bassett, who was really good, but died very young. And then Loud and Wainwright came out, who actually could sing normal songs, but he had these like silly bar songs. And one of them, which made the radio, Loud and Wainwright the I do not know about the other two Loud and Wainwrights, sang that had death, death Skunk in the middle of the road, Death Skunk in the Middle of the Road, Death Skunk in the Middle of the Road, stinking a high heaven. The had you written that, you would have made some money. <laughs> there you go. So now here's the second part. His he has a
0: son who was nominated for a Grammy in 2021. Yeah. Do you know who that is? I have no clue. Before? His son Rufus Wainwright is his son. Oh, oddly certainly. enough, and um, Rufus Wainwright was nominated for his uh, for best traditional pop vocal album this year. He was up against the likes of Harry Connick Jr., James Taylor, who won wow. it, and and Renee Zellweger. So yes, check out Rufus. He's pretty well known, like in folk music circles, I think. But I haven't listened to a lot of his stuff, so I just thought I would mention that. And so now we have some new music to check out for next week's show and you can tell me what you think of rufus wainwright all right so all right that's it anything else you want to talk about that'll do it for me david all right well have a great trip to kansas city sounds like a great place to watch a game and uh we're going to have some answers about the browns not all of them but some after sunday and um have a great trip out there and we'll do this again next week and thanks for listening everybody thank you david thank you terry we'll catch you next week on terry's talking